our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. I am so excited for today's episode. We are going to be fangirling and just loving on our guest today, and it's going to be very evident throughout the interview. Sim, who are we talking to today? We are talking to someone that... When I found out that this person was following us on Instagram, I almost cried. I then went and showed Sonia. I then went and said, we have to interview her. We have someone that is so amazing, so crazy, deeper, buller, coastler. Guys, you have no idea how excited we are to have this conversation. I just want to get it out there. I just want to get it off my chest. I'm a huge fan. And I think one of the hardest parts of these interviews when you interview someone like this is that you fangirl the entire time. So it's not like, how was your day? It's like, how was your day? Also, I love you. So let me just tell you a little bit about Deepa. You will probably have seen her on social media in the business world. She is a Dilly-born, Amsterdam-based fashion and beauty influencer and business mogul. She was probably one of the first fashion influencers to like literally ever exist on Instagram like before people knew it was a job before people realized it was something you could do she was experimenting with it and it really led to like the success that she had she has just recently launched a skincare line which is launched in four countries in literally nine months she's got over 1.4 million followers literally only 31 years old and her recent beauty brand I think why I'm such a huge fan is because it is like a beauty ecosystem of like the modern Desi woman, which is like a way to describe South Asian woman in a bottle. And so we were like, hey, let's hear a little bit about Deepa's money mindset, how she grew up, how she raised money as a South Asian woman, because venture capital is so hard to raise in. And how do you just grow your success and how do you like change the way you grow up? Because she didn't really start off with, you know, the privileges that certain types of people have. So it's a really interesting discussion. We're so excited to have you. How have you been? Thank you so much for having me. I have been so good. I'll be honest, a little tired. (laughs) It's been a busy few weeks, but I am very happy. Yeah, we've been seeing it all over the news. The launch is going so well, especially in India. We're um, big fans. So congratulations on everything so far. 
Thank you so much, guys. So we thought we would start the episode with some of the most commonly asked questions that our community want to know about your story, your journey, because you've been such a huge inspiration and motivation to a lot of people, a lot of South Asian women, of course, but kind of people all over the globe. If we take it all the way back to the very beginning, when it came to money and your money mindset growing up, do you remember what that was like when you were younger? Oh my God. Yeah. So I think I'd say similar to many South Asians, you know, the phrase is money doesn't grow on trees and money is really difficult to come by. And I mean, my family was a middle-class Indian family. So we were definitely, you know, money was really looked as a scarcity. And to add to that, we were never taught about money or investing or even the banking system like I wish there was at least something in our school that taught us about it like you know fiscally or the way to invest like none of that that entire world was this big mystery to me growing up and something that our brown parents just said oh yeah it's just for the elite few who understand that world and it's only for them so that was I think very common to a lot of South Asians that I had the exact same thing it's so interesting that we all almost grow up in the exact same way you know did you ever think I want my life to be a little bit different I do want to learn more about money or were you kind of like this is just what we do and we'll just see what happens you know as I grow up I think I was indeed very different from when I was younger Um, I didn't know how I was going to learn it or what I was going to do. But indeed, for me, having seen my parents, you know, live paycheck to paycheck and not really think about the future or investments or their pension even made me very early realize, okay, I need to change this. Like, and not just for myself, but for my entire family, even maybe for my parents, because they're not taking care of themselves. So I'm going to have to start thinking about that. So I think, yes, I wanted to. Um, I just didn't know how when I was younger. And then over the course of time, I, I learned. So That's amazing. How would you say it sort of changed over time? Because, you know, if anyone looked at your social media, your brands now, you're clearly super successful. You run, you know, amazing brands, multiple brands from nonprofits to, you know, the amazing um, skincare line that's just come out. Something's clearly changed over time from where things have started to where you are now. Could you give our listeners maybe an idea of how that change happened if they're kind of stuck in that same position where you were? So I think it first started off with things that I knew I was good at and then other things that I learned. So for me, I've always been somebody who's quite savvy business-wise in the sense of I know how to make money or so I thought as a child. So I went from literally being a student to having a very successful business in a matter of a few short months. A lot of that, of course, will have to give to tact as well and luck that it was the perfect timing that I got into the world of being an influencer just at the onset of the media world changing and there was no other South Asian doing it. So I think that was something I very clearly noticed, okay, this is the time to strike. If I want to do this in a big way, I need to do it the one of the first ones because there's always that advantage of being one of the first ones who adopts something. So that was something I got very lucky with, but it was also a conscious business decision. After that, it was many years 
years of hustling, many years of being highly strategic, networking, and kind of like building my world within this world of influencer, the influencer game. And so during the course of those years, it was a lot of very much focused on, okay, I need to make revenue. I just need to try to make the money, whether that is through creative ways of brand collaborations or more affiliate marketing or whatever you can within your world, you know? So that was step one. The funny story is, I didn't even know how to do my taxes or what I was doing. So I remember at one point I had a PayPal account that I was getting paid by brands and the money was just being spent out of the PayPal account and there was like no bank account at the end. And it was just starting to get grayish where it's like, what are you doing? You're kind of making money here, but you know, like where where is the end result and that's when i had to really sit down and be like okay deep this is starting to get scary territory you need to learn about taxes and like what are you doing here so that was the very first time i um indeed then spoke to a few friends of mine i also at that point i started dating oleg who is the opposite of me when it comes to understanding the legal system and all things fiscal. And so I think then I kind of learned it all by myself, watched a lot of YouTube videos, of course, read a few books and started my first official kind of company account, got myself an accountant, you know, and that entire process of making myself white and legal and making that business run well happened next. Then for many years, again, it was about making sure everything works out well within the business I had created. I slowly started hiring a team. The team got bigger. So everything within the world that I learned was going well. But I think the next phase that I have entered recently, I'd have to say, like a year and a half, two years ago, was the phase of now having multiple businesses, you know, having multiple kind of that my name, so like my personal brand is a different business. Indewall is a different one indeed. The NGO is different, but also learning the entire world of investing and that uh, how to be an angel and how to invest in ideas and people you believe in. And, you know, it was, it was actually quite parallel to when I, for the first time, brought in investment was when I learned, hey, I can do this to other brands too. And it was quite simultaneously from learning to juggle how a VC works and how they're going to pay me $3 million. But at the same time, be like, hey, maybe I can do this for other businesses too. And this was all quite recent in the last two years. So it's been kind of a phased journey, my whole relationship with money, I think. It's amazing. It sounds like you're a very fast learner, but more importantly, keen learner. I was reading an article you had done and you were explaining that someone was trying to angel invest into you and they were using terminology and you were like, hmm, yeah, let me do that for you. And then you'd go away and quickly Google what it meant. It made me laugh because that's what we all do. We are all in the same boat. They probably hear you saying terminology, you know, that you're quite well-versed in in your niche. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go away and Google, like, what does that mean? And everyone's kind of faking it till they make it almost. So I think it's so great that that you are sharing this and opening it up with the audience because I think they're going to learn so many great things from this. I think it's such a beautiful journey of just having that financial independence and then learning to 
kind of do more with it. And literally, it's at the end of the day, of course, it can be scary at first. And I won't lie, like the first moves from every phase were scary. Like the first time I had an official business and I, I now had to pay taxes for it over everything was scary. And then the next time you grow your team is scary. The next time you start your second business is again like, oh my God, can I handle this now? You know, and the first time you get outside money, like oh my god now i have them to answer for like i need to make sure i'm a profitable company because it's their money too so every stage is really risky and scary but i think us as women are sometimes too cautious with things like this and which is why i think your podcast is such a great one for women to learn that it's okay to be a little bit risk averse and like check your steps and you know double check them which actually also makes women the best investors because we're not just too you know we're not too frivolous and we're like oh yeah take money here take money there i don't care we really check through our steps even more so we should be doing this and learning about the world of investment for those that kind of want to be less fearful in the same way that you have felt the fear and kind of done it anyway do you have any tips that really helped you with the fear of because it's such an unknown especially for women but especially for South Asian women because you know we get told leave it up to your dad or leave it up to your husband like they take care of your money how did you get past the fear of going I'm in control of this let me take care of it I think a combination of things so firstly being like when you get one success, um, you become more and more confident in other things. So for me, when I first realized, hey, this paycheck or this money at the end of the month was completely made by my brainchild and by me and my talents, that gives you this sheer confidence in yourself that you can do it, so that it wasn't because mommy and daddy were rich or your husband gave it to you or none of that. You know, you did it in your own right. And I think using that to fuel your future decisions and your future endeavors really helps because it's that at the end of the day, it's that ultimate confidence that makes you do more and more in your life. So I'd say confidence is a big one. I think secondly, indeed, knowledge. The more you learn, the easier it becomes in the beginning this whole world can be really scary like where do i begin do i need millions of dollars or do i need so much money do i need all this education in the financial world no 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 no. you don't just start somewhere you know just start off small there's enough things and resources online now where you can find how you can start off a small investment or you know how you can start a business in a really kind of small way but just start somewhere like you owe it to your future self to at least you know have tried and been smart with your money and so that's I think the second one is just just try something small big but just get started and an amount that doesn't scare you you know I always say my first investment ended up being an amount that I could live without that it's like just an amount that you keep there which is a nice to have amount that you could have spent say on a dress and a pair of shoes at the end of that month. But instead of the dress and the shoes, sacrifice that for that month and invest with it. And then you can buy five dresses and shoes at the end of maybe six months. Um, so I think that would be another tip is don't start with an amount too scary. I love that. I think every single woman can relate to that. I know that I that was one of the barriers for me before I started investing. I was like, oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm like, it's way too risky. But everything you said is so true. Once you start and you get that confidence and you reflect 
hey, this is actually going really well for me. I kind of know what I'm doing. It gives you the confidence to then take the next step. So I think people that are listening to this podcast and this episode really take in what Deep is saying, write these notes down. It's definitely going to be an episode for that. I kind of wanted to move on to some business questions because you said that you had multiple businesses and we all know the success of them as well. What actually possess you to start in day wild i always say in day wild was not so much a if but a when i was made to create in day wild uh, there's too many touch points in my life from my mother being an ayurvedic doctor and dermatologist to me stumbling upon the world of influencing and learning everything i could about the beauty industry and the media industry and then having had acne myself and suffering with it for about 12 years and really learning about skincare and like kind of this holistic living through and through to realize the kind of products and brands that really worked on our skin. So I think it's a combination of so many things from a business side, from a branding side, from a personal life journey side, as well as just my skin not being catered to. Like we had so many brands in the world that were made by white French guys sitting in Paris telling us what to use. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you even know if that works for us or not? You don't even know our skin type. You don't even know, you know, where we come from. <laughs> so I think all of those factors came together two years ago when we started on this journey to create a new world. And from the sheer fact that, A, I wanted to create a brand that globally celebrated our culture, like the way the Korean beauty did or Japanese beauty did. There's so many brands that they have from their culture. Why is there not a single global Desi brand or like Indian brand that celebrates our culture, where we come from, our superfoods, our herbs, our people? So one of the strongest missions was to take that and really make that happen with a proud Indian founder that uses our superfoods. Like I got a question from a journalist a few days ago, like there's so many brands in the world that have now used turmeric. Uh, what is your difference? And I'm like, yeah, but they're... They're French brands or they're different brands from the States or something that have used our ingredient because it really works and it's amazing, but it's not the same as being proud from your own culture and taking that celebration to the world, being like, hey, you know, turmeric, but let me show you 10 others that you didn't know that also come from my country um, and let me introduce them to you. So I think that was number one, the mission. And number two is our skin really does have specific skincare needs that require particular ingredients in the particular formulation to help and benefit us. So I think one of the reasons India World has been constantly sold out. And as of yesterday evening, we actually won two beauty awards. We won our second one yesterday in just eight months of being live is I think goes to the fact that the products are just really, really good. Like I'm maybe biased because I'm the founder, but kind of reviews we get and the kind of times like as soon as we come back on our website they're sold out again it's just people literally stock up like 10 serums at a time just to you know give it to their entire family so i think the pride here is that indeed taking our culture globally and with india being launched uh three days ago we actually become the world's first truly global indian brand because there's a few that were in India, like Ayurvedic brands in India, but then didn't leave India. And there's a few Ayurvedic brands and Indian brands in the US, but they kind of have been in the US, but India Wild now is in the US, UK, Canada, and in India, which is very exciting. 
For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone, and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. I love the founding story of it. It just really goes to show that we need more South Asian representation as well because my uncle is actually an Ayurvedic doctor and he's been telling us to do certain things for years and years and years. And because we've been in New Zealand for so long, we've kind of just been like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And now we're all going back to all of those holistic. Even just simply having water in those steel cups that we have that's like an Ayurvedic Grass, thing. yeah yeah and it makes me yeah. feel some type of way so congrats on all of your success it's so well deserved thank you so much Sonia it's so funny you say that because ultimately within a while you know there's this friction point that all of us Desi women around the globe face and you just mentioned it very beautifully so like I born and raised in India until I was 17 and then I moved to the, to Europe. There is this friction point that everyone from a girl living in Mumbai to Toronto to Melbourne to London has and the friction is on the one hand we love our culture. We love our moms, we love our grandmoms, we love our weddings, our food, like we love that part of us. At the same time, we're not our moms and grandmoms. We are modern women we believe in science and technology and fact and so this beautiful friction point is essentially what in their wild is in a bottle so on the one hand everything your mom and grandmother told you ayurveda use turmeric use ashwagandha use these amazing herbs that have stood the test of time for five thousand years but combine them with modern dermatology and science and fact and it is basically a modern desi woman in a bottle because you get both you know you get to be like okay okay mom i use turmeric i use ashwagandha you're right it works and at the same time you're like oh it's with the ingredients that we know all the dermatologists agree works you know and we bring them both together did you face any challenges when you were starting your brand? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) I mean, we created this brand in a pandemic. So let's not forget about that big elephant in the room. Like, of course, because I didn't know better, making a brand with supply chain issues all over the world and not being able to meet anybody in real life and raising completely online and, you know, meeting people online. It had so many challenges. Like I can't even begin to tell you, but I think because the whole world was in the same kind of setting, you didn't have any other alternative. So that's how we just went on with it and we created it. But having said that, I think the biggest, biggest challenge for sure would have to be supply chain. Like sometimes we'd have to wait months for something like packaging or bottle. 
And then to realize, oh my God, the country's going to lock down again. And then you're like back to square one, waiting again for a month, two months, while every month you're paying your team, payroll is continuing, like everything else is continuing, but the products are not coming out. So I think that was definitely a very, very big challenge. And then I'll be honest, like the whole process of raising takes so much time and effort out of your calendar that I, during when I do my fundraising, because we've done two now, the business kind of slows down because like the entire team is kind of like, hey, are you going to help us? Or is your day full of calls and meeting multiple VCs and angels and everything? So I think during fundraising, the team really lacks my attention. So that's also a really big challenge for a fast growth business. You need to be there as a founder as well. So I think those would be the two big challenges. Yeah. Speaking of fundraising, did you think that you faced any challenges fundraising as a woman of color? I'll be honest, like I was a very lucky founder, first of all. And secondly, I think I'm the kind of person who also kind of looks at life glass half full because even if I would get a shrewd comment or somebody who didn't like my business idea, I kind of don't think much about it. I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever next. And don't really ponder on why. Could it be a race issue? Could it be a sex issue? Could it be da da da? So I think I, as a person, very much have a very laser focused goal and I just know how to get there. So I think those are two character traits why perhaps I did have a very good fundraising experience. For sure, there were moments some men or some people didn't like the business idea. I mean, I I consider that part and parcel of the entire game. And and 80% of our angels are women, are South Asian women on our board, our lead investors, our uh, women fund. So I got lucky, let's be honest. I also did my due diligence and my research like crazy before I knew who to reach out to and who reached out to us. So yeah, honestly, I had a great experience. For those listening at home, you might not realize this, but only 2% of VC money, so venture capitalist money, actually goes to women-owned or women-run businesses. So this is like still very taboo to be like, hey, let's fund women's ideas. Clearly it worked out. Just crazy that it's so low. I know. And I think, you know, it requires women with a very good business model. And I mean, thing is, we could do the same thing as men, but we need to be twice as good to be noticed. So I think what I'd say women who are looking for VC money is just be so confident, believe in yourself twice as much and believe in your business idea twice as much. And they can't say no. Like for me, at the end of the day, okay, I'm a good salesperson and I can give a good presentation, but the numbers spoke for themselves. Like the numbers of our first quarter and our plans with the business after, any VC would be like, all right, we're going to take a bet on them, you know? And so for me, I think it really is about... I was definitely the unicorn in the room. Like there's a woman here, there's a business, and she she believes she can do this much. But having that, yeah, that kind of courage and balls to just be there and say it and own that space, I think makes a big difference. If you could give three top tips to any budding entrepreneurs that are like, look, I love what you've done because you've really created your own space. I think, you know, before yourself and people like you existed, we always thought like you could just do one thing. You could just be into fashion and beauty or you could be a strong businesswoman. 
or you could just be into you know one thing or the other and you've been like well actually I can do both and I can do them both really, really well. It sounds like this episode is us fangirling. I've just realized if you had to give three tips, uh, what would they be? Three tips. Number one, I think I've mentioned it five times this podcast now, but confidence. And again, it really comes with doing. Like I was not born confident. It's like a muscle. You have to go to the gym to train it every single day. And it comes by achieving small successes. So I always tell everyone on my team and everyone around me, you know, just do something every day that a little bit is outside your comfort zone and you're going to become more and more confident for it. So I think confidence is the number one kind of trait in every aspect of your life that is just going to make you a more richer person, for richer for experience, richer for your career, for your business, for everything. And so that would be tip number one is keep going outside your comfort zone and doing something that scares you a little bit. Tip number two is when it comes to business, I truly believe the world of Google and YouTube and podcasts have every resource you could ever need. I have never gone to business school and I was invited a few months ago by Harvard Business School to speak to their students about business. So there you go. It like literally this girl has been taught by Google. So you can learn everything online. You just have to have the will to learn it and you can. So that would be like, never use an excuse of like, oh, I haven't, I haven't gone to school for it, or I don't know this. Or, da, 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 da. If you want to learn it, you'll find a resource. And there's never been a better time in the history of this world than today to be able to learn something very easily. So use that would be my second tip. Thirdly, I guess, let me say something in the world of investment. I think raising money is something, again, like I said, women are rather cautious of because they think they can just do it themselves and they don't want to take a big risk and start small and da, da, da. and all of that, I mean, is of course, like to each their own, they must decide for themselves. But I think if we need to change that statistic of just 2% of women getting VC funding, we need to be a bit bolder. We as general, as South Asian women, as women, we need to be a lot bolder to take our spot on the table. And again, you know, it's going to start with like individual people creating a ripple, but then the rest of the crew being like, I'm right there with you. Like I'm going to tomorrow start a business and I'm actually going to dream a dream where I can imagine it becoming a hundred million dollar company. Why not? Like dream a dream that scares you and then go out and try to make it happen. Uh, that'd be my third tip is be bold when it comes to fundraising and getting investment. Those are so amazing. I think that everyone listening, including ourselves, have a lot to take away from this. And we just wanted to thank you again, not for just taking the time out today because we know how busy you are but more importantly for giving back you know a lot of people go forward they do amazing things but it's always spectacular to see you know one of our own turn around and go okay now let me help everyone else get to this level too I think it's very commendable so thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for having me again like I said well done on the great work you guys are doing. And if I'm ever in that side of the world, we'll have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Definitely. And for everyone listening at home, check out Indie Wild. Recently just won Best Sustainable Brand by Mary Claire. Um, huge deal. So hats off to you. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say one final thing, and that is that I hope I did not embarrass myself during that entire interview. I could hear myself being like, by the way, and I love you, and I love you. What were your struggles? And I love you. So, ah, oh, such a huge fan. I need, I need to tone it down. I am sorry. But with that, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. We have learned so much about her so many nuggets as i say now of course before we head off if you do want to learn more about deeper we've got all her tags in the description if you want to follow girls that invest check us out on instagram check us out on facebook we have over twenty thousand people in our facebook group which is crazy and of course check out our book at girlsthatinvest.com thank you so much to everyone that has pre-ordered and ordered we love seeing your instagram stories and we're just so thankful for you all to finish off our disclaimer so girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs we are not financial advisors the advice from girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision advice from girls that invest is generally in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.